First of all, let me dash your hopes in case you were hoping that we were watching a full Simpsons episode for today's sermon. We're not doing that. But it illustrates where we are heading this morning. How many of you have ever felt like Bart Simpson, where there was that moment where you realized you had not prepared for that test, not prepared for that presentation at work, and you threw out for lack of a better term, that Hail Mary prayer. And you just said, God, I need you to do something amazing right now. And maybe to convince God to, to do what you asked, you said, God, if you do this, I will read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to be so committed and devoted to, to what I'm going to do. And, and maybe like Bart, as soon as that prayer is answered, what do we do? We kind of just do the things that we normally do. Or maybe some of us think of it like uh, Lisa did, where she said, you know, prayer, the last uh, resort for a scoundrel. Sometimes we think, oh, prayer is just for those people who have no one else to turn to. We can think of prayer in a lot of different ways. And for those of us who look at prayer as being part of a, a, of a healthy relationship with God, that's good. You know, prayer is something that is part of what it means to be an authentic Christian. But many times we, we treat prayer much like what Bart did, where we hope that God is going to answer our prayer in the 11th hour, and we hope that everything will work out just as we hoped, even though we didn't do our part to kind of make things work. And unfortunately, God doesn't always operate like that. In fact, rarely does he. Sometimes we're privy to it, but most of the time things happen and, and transpire differently than we had planned. And when that happens... We can get discouraged and we can feel, why is God not listening to me? Why doesn't God care about me? And so we wrestle with this and we struggle with it. And in the end, prayer ends up being this thing that we don't really want to be associated with anymore. We don't think that it's something that's worth pursuing. And maybe if we find ourselves struggling with what it means to have an authentic prayer life, maybe it's because we've misunderstood what prayer is all about. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about what authentic prayer is like and how God has prescribed it for us in Scripture. Uh, we've been continuing in a series called Authentic, and what we've been doing is looking at various aspects of the Christian life that, if lived out authentically, help us in our relationship with God and how we interact with the world. And we've been doing this by looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. And in that, we've caught a glimpse of all these great things that we can be doing and, and implementing in our life that will help us live out that authentic life. And over the weeks, we've been covering things like devotion, honor, service, joy, and patience. All these things, if done authentically, will help us in that. And so today, I want us to look at authentic prayer. So as we do that, I, want, I invite you to take out your Bibles, and you can follow along. Let's look at what God's Word is telling us about this. Uh, or maybe you have your smartphone, and if you do, you can follow along that in the YouVersion app. And if you don't have a Bible here today, that's okay. Our ushers are coming down the aisle, and they would love to help you with that and lend you one. Uh, so just keep your hand up there, and they'll get that to you. And then at the end of the service, uh, you can leave that there in the seat beside you. As we look at God's Word today. Uh, you can also actually follow along in the sermon notes that are there in your bulletin and on version. If you look and search for live events and you find Portico, there you can actually keep your notes there and you can save it as something on your phone to look at later on. When we look at God's Word, when we think about prayer, what is it that the Bible teaches about this and what is it that we do and, and how do those compare or contrast? I think for many of us, we treat prayer like a rescue clause. 
We think that this is something that we do and we engage in when we need God's help. But in fact, I think the essence of prayer is part of a relationship, a healthy relationship with God, where God will be fully present and where we can be fully engaged with him. You know, this is not only just in prayer, even with Bible reading. We have the life journals. You know, at the beginning of every month in the bulletin, you'll see a a bookmark that lists out different scriptures that you can follow along to read the Bible through in the year. And just like that, there are ways where having an authentic, real, genuine prayer life can be beneficial and uplifting for your life and, and transformative more than anything else. And what I like about this idea of relationship, when we talk about how prayer can be a relationship with God... I think the greatest expression of love is a relationship that has no hidden agenda. Think about the people in your life that you cherish the most. The people that when you start making plans to see them, you can't wait to see them. That when you finally do see them approaching you, your face lights up and you can go on for hours and you can talk. Uh, I remember when uh, my wife Ruby and I, before we were married, we were talking. And in our courtship, you know, my parents would ask, so, how, you know, were you talking to Ruby today? I said, yeah, we spent, I don't know, three, four hours. And my parents were like, three, four hours? What were you talking about? And I was like, I don't remember. But it was good because we could just talk about anything. The conversation was so fluid. We went, we talked about all sorts of different things. And it was just nice to be engaged in a conversation. So whenever I talked with her, I looked forward to those conversations that we had. And so a genuine relationship like that where there's no hidden agenda, we look forward to those. It's the ones where we know that when that person calls us up, chances are they're needing something from us. And those are the ones we kind of like, oh, it's that person again. And we know what it's like when we approach a relationship with an agenda or without one. And I think the same thing kind of applies in our prayer life. If all we do is ever approach God when there's an agenda of ours to be fulfilled, what does that say or how does that speak to the the nature of our relationship with God? So to help us explore uh, this prayer, there are a few questions that come to mind. And when you think about where you are at in your own prayer life, hopefully these questions will help guide, uh, uh, guide your own thought process in understanding where you're at and where God wants us to be. So the first question is this. What inhibits you from praying? I think if all of us take a moment and, and just take stock of where we are at in our own prayer life, I think we would find ourselves in different places. And I think... More, more of us, most of us, I'd say, at some point or another, have struggled with being consistent and genuine in our prayers. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons is that our prayers are ritualistic. We've done it because our parents told us we had to do it. When we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed, before we eat food, uh, or as we've grown up now and we're on our own and we're adults and making our own decisions— we have heard the pastors talk about it on a Sunday morning. Or we, in our small groups, in our community life groups, we've talked about the importance of prayer. And so we do it, but we do it because people keep on telling us to do it. And so my thinking, though, is that if we end up praying in that way, for that reason, simply because someone told us to do it, then I think there's probably no passion or desire behind it that's fueling that prayer. And if we end up staying in that place... What ends up happening is we equate prayer with a chore. You know, when we're young and we're told to do certain things, we may not like it, but we're developing a discipline that in time, hopefully, will develop into something that is natural and genuine. But if all we do is end up staying there, it ends up being something that's stale and static. 
So sometimes we wrestle with prayer being consistent in our life because it's a ritual. Maybe it's because we have approached prayer and we've trusted God in it, but we haven't seen the answers that we wanted. And so there's been unanswered prayer. We practice it. We desire God. We trust that God wants the best for us. And and we know that he's on our side and he will do what's best for us. But we pray and then nothing happens. We want to believe that God will answer, but it seems like he doesn't. I think one of the reasons this happens, or seems to happen anyway, is because we are impatient. When we pray and we come before God, and maybe we come to pray because there's a need on our mind, we pray and we say, God, we need you to do this in this amount of time. We come with the need, and we come with the way it needs to be solved, and when it needs to be solved. And if God doesn't do it just exactly as we prescribe it to be done, then we believe that God has not answered that prayer. Or maybe another reason is that uh, God answered it, but it wasn't the way that you wanted it to be. Maybe you were hoping for a yes, and God said no. Maybe you were hoping for a yes, and God said, I need you to wait. Or maybe God said, I need you to trust that I'm going to do something great here. I'm going to give you, I'm going to answer your prayer, but in a way that totally blows your mind. And you never even thought of it, because you were just thinking about this one thing. But we are so caught up in our own agenda about what we want that anything besides that is a failure in our eyes. It reminds me of the story of King Hezekiah. He was one of the kings of Israel. And he was dying. And he asked God to heal him and to give him more time on earth. And so the prophet, he had, there was a prophet who prayed on his behalf and spoke to God. And God said, I'm going to answer King Hezekiah's prayer. Now imagine that. I mean, that's a pretty amazing prayer. If we ever kind of put out that prayer about something just incredible, God, I need more time. I need more time. I need you to heal me and give me more time on earth. God answered his prayer. And we think, okay, that's great. I want my prayer life to be like that. But I think there was something that was happening in the story to help illustrate something in our own lives. Because when you keep reading that story, eventually King Hezekiah died. God gave him 15 extra years. But the king that followed him, that, uh, that preceded him, his son, he was 12 years old when he became king, and he did evil in the, li- in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, he was one of the worst kings that Israel had ever seen. Now think about the ages there. The king was 12, which means that boy was born during that time, that grace period that God had given. See, when King Hezekiah prayed, all he's thinking is, I don't want to die. God is seeing a bigger picture, saying, I'm going to give you life, and I'm going to let this happen because I need to illustrate something. Maybe the reason that God doesn't answer the prayer that you want in the way that you think it should be answered is because God sees the bigger picture. We see it as best as we can, but then we struggle and we wrestle with it, and we wonder why. Maybe we need to learn to trust God in the way that he answers it. So maybe we struggle because of it's a ritual. Maybe we struggle because the answer is not there. Maybe we even struggle because our idea of God is not who we think he is. You know, maybe we don't believe in God. Maybe we have a, a very skewed understanding of who he is. We, we wrestle with the idea, can there be a higher being, a greater power? Uh, or maybe you do believe in God, but you're on a continuing journey of faith and searching. And maybe you just don't have that personal relationship with God just yet. And so praying doesn't make sense to you at this point. And that's understandable. But there are reasons, wherever you find yourself on the spiritual spectrum as to why we find trouble in praying. And so if we have trouble in praying, then I think what happens is we end up misunderstanding, or our understanding of prayer ends up being skewed. And in the end, we draw certain conclusions like, 
prayer doesn't work. And maybe, if we're brutally honest, some of us would say here, I don't pray. I've given up. Prayer does not make sense. It's not worth pursuing. So I ask you the question then, is our understanding of prayer incorrect? You know, when we think of prayer as being only ritualistic and self-serving, these will lead to false impressions of what prayer really is. You know, when we looked at all these other examples, all we've been talking about prayer that was ritualistic or self-serving. And if we think of prayer like that, then I think we're missing out on something that is beautiful about prayer. Instead, I think prayer is supposed to be a part of a conversation, best described like a conversation with God, where you talk and you converse with him, where you're just spending time with him. Because if all that we do is come to God when we need him, then I think that's the kind of relationship where what I was talking about before, the person with the hidden agenda, imagine what it must be like for God to to always know that when he sees you coming before him in prayer, it's like, oh, there's Pastor Josh. He's coming before me again. Here we go. And the prayer is, oh God, you are good, you are holy, and we love you. And now imagine that conversation, in fact, if it was just a person, you know, staying beside me, and they come to me, and they say, oh Josh, I love you. You are so good and kind and generous. Thank you for all the good things that you've done for me. You know, there's this thing that I've been thinking about and praying over, and I'm hoping that you can help me out in this regard. And if you can, that would be great. All right. Thanks. Bye. And then they walk away. Now imagine that happening every day. What kind of relationship would that be? Now, if that happened to you, you can imagine that that person would wear uh, very thin on you very quickly. Now, think of that in light of our conversation or a context of relationship with God. If all we ever do is come before him and our prayer ends up being, Oh God, you are good and kind and generous. Here's this need that I have. Would you please answer it? In your name I pray, amen. And then we walk away. If that's the nature and the, and the full extent of our prayer, why should we expect God to do that? Why should we, God, why should we expect God to, to always be listening and doing everything that we ask? I feel like we miss out on it because all that prayer ends up being is us conversing with God. What happened to God having the opportunity and space to talk to us? When was the last time that you just spent time after you prayed or even before you prayed just to sit in silence and just wait and listen? I wonder if we started trying to do that, that our prayer life would be different because the conversation wouldn't be entirely consumed by my voice, but there would be opportunity for God to speak. So we've talked about what inhibits our prayer life so the next question that comes to mind then, well, what does authentic prayer look like? You know, there are so many different models and examples that we can look to throughout Scripture. And, you know, even in sermon prep this week, we were talking, if we really even just gave this sermon a, a really deep dive, it'd take us three weeks at least to get through everything. There are so many things. When you look throughout Scripture, uh, there was Elijah who prayed for fire to come down from heaven and consume the sacrifice. There was the New Testament church that when they were facing persecution, they prayed for boldness. And so we see all these different types of prayers, situations where the prayers were offered. Even the book of Psalms, love the book of Psalms because these are prayers and songs that were written to God where they convey the attitude and the feelings of of what was going through those psalmists at that time. And when you look even specifically at the life of Jesus, Jesus modeled prayer amazingly. 
when you look at how his story is retold through the Gospels, we see that Jesus made regular times to go into solitude and just to get away from everything and to pray. And he prayed often. He was praying on his own. He prayed with the disciples. He prayed before, uh, in the garden before he was to be crucified. We see sometimes, we even catch glimpses of the things that Jesus prayed about. And we capture his heart. And we see what it is that moved him and why he desired to pray. And I think then that the disciples, having observed this, would have seen something being modeled so beautifully for them. And maybe if we can tap into that, we have the opportunity to, to see our prayer life transformed as well. So when we talk about authentic prayer, though, I think it's also good to think about what authentic prayer is not. Authentic prayer is not, you know, just little bits of prayer that we just pick and choose what we want to say, and it's only about us. Because, we you know, if you think about the Lord's Prayer, it's a beautiful prayer, covers lots of different things. But I think if we were to take the words of that prayer and whittle it down to what we typically pray about, I think it would sound something like this. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Amen. That would be our prayer. Very short. And when you hear it broken down or boiled down to that, you hear right away, that is such a shallow prayer. And yet, this is what we often end up doing. That's how we end up praying. We pray passionately. We pray, you know, with sincerity, but in the end, if that's all the things that we cover, what kind of fulfilled, transformed, um, beautiful prayer is that if it only is about just asking God for our needs? And authentic prayer is also not about the big show or the big words. You know, I, there, were, there was a video that we showed a little while ago about Michael Jr. He's a Christian comedian who, he was kind of new to the faith, I think. And he, uh, when he was observing this woman praying, this woman was just amazing, rich words and energy. And he was like blown away by it. And sometimes we can observe people around us and we are wondering, wow, I can't pray like that. Maybe my prayer isn't as good. But it's not necessarily about those things. They can be expressions of something that is genuine. And I encourage you, if that's where your prayer life is at, continue in it. That's good. But don't feel like you need to have big words for the sake of big words. Or that you need the wonderful expressions for the sake of expressions. That's not what authentic prayer is about. Instead, what I think it is, is an opportunity for us to move from where many may find ourselves today, from infrequent prayer to moving to something that is more frequent. And then something that is not only just frequent, but meaningful. Meaningful prayer is what I think uh, captures what authentic prayer is all about. And I mentioned the Lord's Prayer. What I want to do is give us an opportunity actually to look at this. You know, there are so many different prayers in Scripture that we could look at. But I think today would be a great opportunity just to even look at what we call the Lord's Prayer. And, and understand what we can learn and how, what we can apply in our own life based on what Jesus was teaching the disciples at that time. So we're going to put the verse on the screen. This is a passage that's found in Matthew chapter 6. And what I'm going to do, we're actually all going to do this. The words are there on the screen. Let's read it all together, and then let's look more deeply into what the words say and what they mean. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
The first thing when you look at this, at, at this prayer, I think the first thing that we can draw from it is this great uh, expression of who God is and two beautiful characteristics of him. And when maybe when we engage in our prayer life moving on from today forward, we can apply these things in our own life. So when you read the opening words, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So at once we hear the word Father, it conveys this idea of intimacy, of relationship. And then when you say the words, hallowed be your name, right away brings us to this place of, you know what, God is holy. He is sovereign. He is almighty. And so in one line, we see this great uh, contrast between God being our father, you know, that relational aspect, and then also being someone who is holy and sovereign. And so maybe all of us, even in this room, we probably come from different traditions, and we've been raised differently, and we probably find ourselves uh, attached to one of these aspects of God's nature more than the other. Maybe some of us grew up in a traditional church uh, tradition. Uh, maybe you came from a Catholic church or an Orthodox church. Maybe you came from a different religion uh, that has taught you the importance of, of, of holding God in, in a sacred way. And that's great. And you understand what it means that God is holy. And then there are others of us who have been growing up in a tradition where we, we uh, proclaim and we talk about the, the more relational aspects of God, like he's a friend of God. And we, sing, we even sing that song. And you have an appreciation for what it means for God to be your father and your friend, to be that person who is close to you. And they're both good. But the trouble is we tend to focus on one or the other. And maybe what this prayer is teaching us is that we need to have both in equal measure when we pray. And as we continue to look through the words of this prayer, we see that they help us uh, proclaim and advocate for both the side of God being relational and holy. So the first one, as we continue in the words, it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Think about your prayer life. How many times have you ever found yourself praying those, those type of words? God, I want your kingdom to come. I want your will to be done. Because if we're honest with ourselves, I think we end up saying, maybe not in these words, but if you look deeply at the heart of it, we end up saying, my kingdom come, my will be done. And we pray that God, you need to do things the way I want them to be done. And if we do pray like that, if we do think like that, if we do live out our authentic Christian life in that way, then what are we missing out on? And the flip side of that is if we were willing to change that, if we were willing to pray and think in a way that was about God's purpose, God's plan, what would be different about our life? What about the decisions you've made about your job, about your lifestyle, about your church engagement? What would be different if we said, God, let your will be done, not my will? Would we be doing anything differently? As we continue on in the words... It says, give us today our daily bread. And this is capturing that aspect of needs. And it's a good thing to pray because we acknowledge and recognize that it's God who is our provider. He is Jehovah Jireh. But think of this now in light of this fact of kingdom perspective and God's will. Well, how would that change the way that we pray for our needs? Because I think typically what ends up happening is we pray for what we want. But is it what we need? Or even more so, we pray for what we want, 
But is it what God wants? And if we were willing to think about a kingdom perspective of God's will, God's kingdom, maybe the things that we pray for, for our needs would be different because we realize we don't need these things. Or maybe we realize that we have that eternal perspective that God, you know what my needs are. I'm going to leave that to you. And as those needs arise, I know that you will provide. And so we change the way we think about his kingdom. We change the way that we think about our needs. And as we continue on, it says, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's in the KJV. Here we were talking about debts and and debtors. This covers the idea of relationships. When there is sin in our life and we are wrestling with that, sin can hinder your relationship with God and it can hinder your relationship with other people. I mean, think about it. If God is calling us to be uh, obedient and to forgive other people, what would that look like? Because when we look at ourselves, we can say, well, I know this person who has wronged me, and I cannot imagine you asking me to forgive this person. How could you ask me to do such a thing? And we struggle and wrestle with that. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It is a simple but amazing paradigm that God sets out for us. Think of it. If you can't forgive other people, why should you expect me to forgive you? And think about it. You know, we are called to forgive others, and maybe there are incredibly bad, hateful, heinous things that people have done to us. Maybe they have hurt us emotionally or physically. But think of that in light of what God has been willing to forgive of you. He's looked at your entire life and said, I offer you the gift of forgiveness. And he's not only done that for you, but for all of humankind. And he was willing to forgive and offer that gift of forgiveness. So when we look at our own situation, if we are not willing to forgive others, it makes sense that God has no obligation, shouldn't have to feel like we need, he needs to forgive us. And yet he does it. He sets the example. He sets the model. When we continue in this, as we read, it says not only about forgiving sins and having people forgive us as well. In the idea of sin, it continues, lead us not into temptation. This is a great prayer. I like that here Jesus is teaching us about the idea of being protected from things that would lead us into sin. Lead us not into temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I love that God cares for us and doesn't want to lead us into a place where we face temptation. And God doesn't, and, and, and as we do that though, as we think about that idea though, it's not God who tempts us. Let's be clear about that. It's Satan who tempts us. But when we face that temptation, we can understand that God is there present with us and that he gives us the strength. He gives us the ability to face that. I also love the fact that Jesus himself knows what it's like to face temptation. You know, there are things in my life where if someone were to ask me to do something that was wrong, right away, I know, that's not wrong. I I mean, that is wrong. I'm not going to do it. I'm easily able to withhold uh, from doing something bad in that regard. That, to me, in my mind, is not temptation. I haven't been tempted to do anything. What is a temptation are those things where when I'm presented with an opportunity to sin, I pause and I think and I wrestle and I struggle because I know I shouldn't do it, but I really want to. 
So when I read the story of Jesus and how he was tempted in the wilderness, I don't think we, we, I think we do Jesus uh, a disservice by always playing up to be this person who, in a sense, kind of floats on air. Nothing is bad with him or anything like that. That he was totally okay when he faced that temptation in the wilderness. No. When he was tempted there, he was tempted. And so I know that when I come before him and I say, God, please don't take me to those places where there might be temptation. He understands and he knows what you go through. And finally, there's the words, deliver us from evil. Uh, In John chapter 17, verse 11, it says, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. It's good to pray for protection. But when we do, let's also keep a, a good, proper perspective on what it means to pray about protection. Protection isn't about keeping me from those difficult times. I have no qualms about what my Christian experience is is supposed to be like. I'm not naive to think that my journey is going to be easy, that everything that I need is going to come as I need it. No. I know the journey is difficult. I'm going to face difficulties. I'm going to face persecution. I'm going to face trials. These things are going to be there. And I don't blame God for that. I just know this is what it's like. But when I pray for protection, I'm praying that God would protect me in the midst of that, to journey through there so that I don't fall along the way. That I'm praying for God to give me the strength I need to make it through those difficult times. Even Psalm chapter 23, love the words, says, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. There's a beautiful picture there. Because when we are in that valley of death, there is a shadow. But that shadow can only be cast when there is a light. And that light is God. And so even in your darkest moments, wherever you are, that psalm doesn't say you won't go through the valley. You are there in the valley. You are in the bad time. We're not making any notion that you're not going to go through these difficulties. But when you're there, we pray that God would protect us and keep us safe as we journey through it. So when we've asked these questions we finally then come to this last question. How can I become more faithful in prayer? We've looked at what hinders it. We look at what it's like now. How do I become more faithful? I think it just means more than anything else, engaging in meaningful conversation with God in both how he is holy and how he is relational. And I think we need to change our focus because if all we ever do is come to God when we need him, that's where we fall short. Because there's a whole beautiful relationship and a conversation that God wants to have with you. But we just kept on shortchanging it. So if you're willing to change your focus about what prayer can be and should be in your own life, I believe that it will be transformative for you. And it will be something beautiful that you get to experience. So as we leave here today, I want to give you a challenge. For the next seven days, I want you to just completely rethink what prayer is like in your own life. And think about it even in the everyday. Think about the next time you pray for your food. Don't simply pray for blessing. Pray for thankfulness. Be thankful to God. Take a moment just to pause and say, God, I know that I am privileged to be able to eat this meal. Think about your own family and setting aside time where you come together and you carve out that time in your day where you get together and you pray as a family. I know that you'll be busy. You have projects at home. Your kids have homework and things like that. But you say, this is our priority. We're going to pray together as a family. I really do believe that authentic prayer is part of a genuine relationship with God. And when we think about prayer, I know it's not easy to always think, okay, what do I pray? I get it, Pastor Josh. We need to pray. 
but how do I do it? Because sometimes I don't know what to say. Just say what's on your heart. Just be honest and genuine with him. I remember years ago when I was in university, I was driving to Ottawa, visiting my sister, four, four and a half hour drive. I made a decision, you know what? I'm just going to have a conversation with God. Wasn't, you know, my typical standard structure of prayer. It was just honestly an open conversation, just talking as if there was a friend right beside me. For four hours, I just talked with God, and it was one of the most beautiful times I've ever had because I was just being real and open and honest. I shared how I was feeling, and I want to give you that freedom. I want to let you know that you have that freedom. When you are happy, tell God about it. When you're sad, let him know how you feel. When you're angry, even angry at God, let him know. That's okay. He already knows you're feeling it. So tell him, why are you angry? Why are you hurt? Let him know. Just be in conversation with him. And even in those moments when you don't even know what to say, Pastor Heather actually reminded us beautifully during the worship time, you know, even the Holy Spirit will give you words and groans. So even in those moments when you don't know what to say, when you just allow yourself to, to release yourself and just worship in the Spirit, The Spirit will speak in words that you don't even understand, but it ministers to your heart and to your soul. So what I want to do is give you an opportunity right now. In these next few moments, if you look in your sermon notes, whether you're following on version or in the sermon uh, study guide there, uh, there is a section that's called My Prayer. And what I want you to do right now is, as you've been hearing this, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're feeling right now that there is a word on your heart. There's something that you want to pray. Well, as the band plays, we're going to give you an opportunity just to simply be in conversation with God. We're not going to rush it, but we're going to give you this chance a few moments right now. Or maybe God is putting a word in your heart right now as it is, and God is crafting something there, and there's something that is, it is taking shape, and you just want to write it down. Well, think about the model that we've learned here about the Lord's Prayer, and now make it your prayer. Because in fact, it wasn't the Lord's prayer. It was the Lord modeling prayer for the disciples. So in a sense, it's the disciples' prayer. And now, here's an opportunity to make it your prayer. How do you take those aspects of who God is as a father and his holiness, about his kingdom, about your needs, about sin, about relationships? Make it your own. So in these moments, take time to pray or just write down your prayer there. God, we love you. We thank you that you are our Father and you are holy. Lord, we want to surrender our wills to yours. Let your will be done in my life. Let it supersede anything that I think is important or necessary for myself. May I be sensitive to your spirit. May we all be sensitive to God, to your spirit. Lord, you know our needs. You know the things that weigh on our hearts. And we're just trusting, God, that you're going to provide at the right time and in the right way. And that you're going to do what's best for us. Lord, we acknowledge that we have sinned. We have made mistakes. 
and we apologize for what we have done. And God, we are asking that you give us that strength to be willing to forgive others too so that we can restore those relationships between us and them and us and you. Lord God, I pray that when we face temptation, that you'll be with us. Give us that strength not to fall prey to that. And God, as we go through life's trials, when we go through life's difficulties, thank you, God, that you're with us, that you'll protect us. We know that we must journey through them, but God, you will be with us there, and we thank you for that. And we surrender our will, we surrender all this to you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.